Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome and breakfast. Welcome to the class. Um, and breakfast in the class is dedicated for the Rufuah Shema of Meir Ben Adelia, sponsored anonymously. Um, as well dedicated for the Rufuah Shema of, uh, for, in loving memory, excuse me, of Florette and Jacquez Mahani, Lilia and Shai Galapo, Seymour and Betty Lane, and Esther and Victor Hanian by their grandchildren Sarah and Shai Mahani. And as well, the uh, cold brew is dedicated loving memory of Sami Sayed, Leilu Nishmat Shalom and Rivka, sponsored by his son, Isaac Sayed. Rabutai, what's really interesting to notice about in this week's parasha is a fascinating uh, discrepancy between the way we treat the Hachnasat Orchim of Avraham Avinu and the Hachnasat Orchim of Lot. Hachnasat of or, uh, Orchim of, of Avraham Avinu, we go through great detail in describing how he took care of each and every one of them. And it's important for us to understand that Avraham Avinu did his best to be able to make sure that they were comfortable and happy. And yet, when it comes to the story in Sedom, the Pasuk tells us that these two angels come, they come to uh, Sedom, Lot, <coughs> and Lot sees, don't worry, I don't have corona. The, the Pasuk says, and Lot sees the, 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 the two, he stands up to greet them, and he says, please come to my home, sleep over, wash off your feet, wake up and go on your way. Lot seems to say very clearly many of the same things as Avraham Avinu, and yet we don't make a big deal of Lot's hachnasat orchim. And the question, Rabotai, is why? The Beta Levi answers a magnificent answer. He says that when it comes to Avraham Avinu, we are told that the, uh, the angels appear to Avraham Avinu, they appear as Arab travelers, as poor and simple men. And Avraham, Avraham traveled towards them, ran towards them and gave everything and even put himself down in front of people that actually he had no idea who they were. They were lowly people. To be, to do achnasat orchim for angels, everybody wants to do. But to do achnasat orchim for a, a nobody, a traveler in the desert, that's something which is special. That's something which is l'shem shamayim. There's a magnificent story with the Ibn Ezra. The, in times gone by, the great tzaddikim had an interesting practice. The practice was called galut. What does it mean, galut? They would exile themselves, they would impose on themselves exiles to travel from city to city without any plans. They didn't have Expedia back then where they could plan an itinerary, stay in, uh, you know, one city in the Motel 6 and the next city in Knights Inn, you know, in all the low-grade two-star hotels or motels, you know, in, uh, you know, uh, Howard Johnson, you know, all these different things that they would put out, right? We'll leave the light on for you. What would, what would the galut be? The galut would be, Rabotai, that they'd go to a place and have no plans. Not only that, they would also not reveal who they were. They would sit in the back of the synagogue, and that way, if there were any sins that they needed to oppose, atone for in their own life or in the life of the people, of the community, the galut would be a tremendous teshuvah, a tremendous zechut for them and for the communities and for Am Yisrael. The Vilna Gaon was famous for doing this, but one of the great tzaddik that was famous for the practice of, of galut was the Ibn Ezra. And part of it, obviously, was the fact that you couldn't tell anyone who you were. You told anyone who you were, then what happens? 
They're giving you money, they're giving you honor, they're giving you a place to stay because you're a big tzaddik. So it would have to be that you didn't, that nobody knew who you were. And there are many instances of great tzaddikim being humiliated, people throwing rocks at them, sleeping in the synagogue. And that exactly was the point, but still they would never reveal their name. One village that Ibn Ezra gets to, and after traveling for a long time, Rabbi Abraham Ben Ezra, his Pirush's explanation is in every Chumash Mikra'ot Gidolot that you open up. Ibn Ezra, he was a, uh, a, a, a grammar expert, and he always focused on trying to find the Peshat in the Pasuk from a perspective of grammar and syntax. He gets to one village, nobody knows who he is, and he hasn't eaten or already in two days. He's starving. It's Friday night, he's sure that sitting in the synagogue when he finishes this to prayers, someone's going to invite him home. He's waiting five minutes, ten minutes, the prayers are already over, places emptying out, everyone's hacking on their way out about the last week, about what they, you know, they haven't seen each other, they've all been away at work. Each time the Ibn Ezra's hoping someone will invite him home, he's starving. They leave, nobody's, mafiashi like they say. Ma'ando, there's not even wahid, not even one person is inviting. All of a sudden, one guy walks back into the synagogue, pokes his head in, he says, do you have somewhere to eat tonight? Oh, Ibn Ezra goes home with this guy. They bring him into the house. The house is filthy. There's no, it's, it's not clean. Back in the day, you know, if you couldn't afford flooring, they would have, they would sweep the mud of the ground. That's how they would prepare for Shabbat. They would have freshly swept mud. Like it wouldn't be, you know, that was the, that was a Shabbat treat, that your mud was swept, okay? Anyway, so he comes into the place, he sees it's a hovel, they sit down at the table, there's very little food to eat, bizarre there's enough for this man and his wife. They sit the, uh, the Ibn Ezra at the table, and they start eating, and the Ibn Ezra, he's so hungry. So they give him whatever they can from the little that they have. Ibn Ezra eats it, he's starving, he looks at this at this couple, he says, please, is there anything else I can eat? Doesn't matter what it is. But they don't have. The man turns to his wife, gives her the signal. She comes out and she brings the portion of food that they were supposed to eat for lunch. <clears throat> she brings out lunch to the table. The Ibn Ezra devours it. He's starving. Hasn't eaten in two days, like we said. He finishes it, you know, he starts singing a couple songs for Shabbat. Again, he asks, is there anything else I can eat? The wife looks at her husband. They already gave away their lunch. He gives her the nod. Yeah, and he give away Sudash and Ishit. They didn't have the Safra synagogue over there where uh, you could come and get the delicious, uh, you know, normally, a delicious Sudash and Ishit. Now you get the crackers and, you know, and uh, a little thing of hummus from, uh, from Costco. But... You know, they didn't have, they didn't have a Rabbi Safra Bisha'ata, okay? They give him away so Dashlishi. And he could see how hard it was for them. And he says to this couple, he says, Have faith in Akadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem will provide Bishefa. Hashem will provide abundant food tomorrow. The man, he could see, he was calmed down by his words. He has Emunah in Akadosh Baruch Hu. He looks at his wife and he says to his wife, back then you could communicate a lot between husbands and wives just with looks. <laughs> now you need a lot of communication. <laughs> you have seven hour combos, you know, need moderated by a therapist, right? But he, he says to his wife, you know, you know, come on, we did the right thing. And he could see as well that the wife is also now on the page of Emunah. 
The rabbi comes to the synagogue the next morning. They're praying the Amidah. He walks up to the rabbi, the Ibn Ezra, and he says, is it okay if I say a few words and address the kahal? The president sees this poor guy in the back of the synagogue. He has no idea who he is. He says, look, I don't really know. It's not really the custom. You know, guys, the Ibn Ezra says, please, I would like to speak, just to say some words of Torah. Don't worry, I'm not collecting. <laughs> right? Just a couple <laughs> words of Torah. Things were the same back then like they are now, okay? So the rabbi says, okay. He keeps pushing, pushing. Finally, the rabbi says, okay. The man walks up to the bima, the Ibn Ezra. He starts speaking, and in two seconds, the whole room spellbound. They have... So, the Ibn Ezra, right? Everyone's flipping out. The Ibn Ezra, Rabotai, we're back. The Ibn Ezra walks up to the front and he speaks and everyone is spellbound. They never heard a speaker like this in their life. They're all going crazy. Words of Torah, Gimatriot, Kabbalah, Halakha, Gimara. One thing after the next, no one could believe it. At the end, their chair, every single person, and what are they doing? They want to kiss his hand. They want Berachot. The rabbi says, who are you? And where did you come from? And by the way, that moment is enshrined in a famous song that the rabbi wrote. Um, it's called, where do you come from? Where do you, no, fine. So at the time, the rabbi said to him, my name is uh, Avraham. Avraham who? He says, Avraham uh, Ibn Ezra. Khalas, everyone knew exactly who he was. The rabbi broke character. So what did we say earlier? The minute you break character, the whole galut, staying away from your family, traveling incognito, starving for, for two days, none of it, it all goes out the window. Now they know who you are. Now they're going to treat you well because of who they know who you are. That's not galut. Rabotai, everyone in the shul is clamoring. Every rich guy, every chashub guy, come to me, fadal. Ibn Ezra, Fadal, I have your books on my shelf. Fadal, you know, maybe you could autograph a chumash for me or something. Right? Fadal, come to my house, come to my house, come to my house. The rabbi says, thank you very much. I'm eating at this guy's house. He's the only one that invited The guy who invited him the night before when he was Avraham Ibn Cognito. Okay? When nobody knew who he was. That's the guy who invited me? Like the Gemara says, Torah Choseret the Torah returns to the one who hosts her, to who hosts her. Ibn Ezra turns up at the house. Of course, everyone wants to eat with the Gadol Hador. Every family in the town brought the food from their home. The pots, the cholent, the hummus, the, you know, the machshi, you know, the baba ganoush, the, you know, the tadbile, the kibbeneye, the hareruv, of course the hareruv. They all bring the food. All of a sudden, this guy and his wife, they never saw so much food in their life. And indeed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided, so to speak, food b'shefa for them. They had nothing to worry about. And they were able to eat for a long time after. The Ibn Ezra gave them a beracha that because you did this, because you did such a beautiful act of hesed, he said, your house should always be full of beracha. You should never want for anything. And of course, Rabotai, the berachot of the Ibn Ezra were heard in Shamayim and, uh, and they were blessed. Rabotai, why were they blessed? They were blessed because they gave tzedakah, they gave hachnasat orchim to a nobody. When you come like the Pasuk says, how does the Pasuk describe these same visitors? When it comes to Abraham Avinu, 
what does it say? Right in the beginning, Abraham raises his eyes and he sees Shilosha and Nashim, three men. When it comes to Lot, what does it say? He raises his eyes and who does he see? Shnei Malachim. Says the Beta Levi, Hazaku Baruch for helping the Malach. Hazaku Baruch, we're not going to talk to you. We're not going to, you know. And by the way, what's interesting to me is, Lot, not only does he give them food and sleep and wash their feet, when everyone is clamoring, they want to break down his door, Lot is willing to risk the lives of him and his whole family to protect these guests. Rabotai, doing hachnasat orchim to the highest degree, but for somebody who's a somebody, is not worth the same as doing a humble hachnasat orchim for somebody who's a nobody. Why? Because here the mitzvah is coming from the goodness of your heart. It's not coming because that guy deserves. It's coming because everybody deserves. Rabotai, I want to uh, illustrate this point with one more uh, true story that happened. The anniversary of the story is only a couple of days ago. November 4th, 2010. Rabbi Robinson, my uh, colleague and compatriot, from the Lincoln Square Synagogue was at the end of his rope. 10 years ago, this week, there's no, there was no money left in the pot. The synagogue was gonna close the doors, he was gonna lose his job. They had no more funds. Chalas, it's his last day, he thinks, as the rabbi of the shul. Done. That morning, he has a last-ditch fundraising effort. He goes to the guy, pours out his heart, and the meeting goes terribly. Chalas, everything's... It's his wife's birthday on November 4th. That night, he's scheduled to have a, what's it called, a dinner with his wife, and they're planning a Sheva Berachot for a young person in the community. The guy, Rabbi, can't even... Oh, I'm doing that. I'm doing this. I'm going to lose my job. The synagogue's going to close down. He's destroyed. He can't think about how he's going to celebrate these two occasions. He takes his rabbi in training who's there with him. They have a visit. They have to go to the hospital. There's someone sitting there in hospice waiting to die, unfortunately. And they're trying to make their life comfortable before they pass away. He goes and he visits this fellow in the hospital and he tries to lift his spirits. Rabotai, after he fulfills this misvah of Bikur Holim, and he has the misvah in his pocket, of Siddaka, of uh, trying to raise the money for the shul. And he has the misvah in his pocket of preparing uh, for, uh, for, a, for a Sheva Berachot to, to be Misameh Chatan Bekala. He comes back into the synagogue that night, just across the road here, just five minutes from here, Rabotai in a car. And there's a messenger waiting for him with a handwritten note. And on the handwritten note, it says, a person would like to donate on condition of anonymity, $20 million to the Beit HaKnesset. Hands him the note. That money was used not only to put sure the synagogue up, but to fix it up. And he posted today, yesterday a picture of the new Beit Midrash that they're building in the synagogue. Rabotai, here's a man who's about to lose his job. And, and he's doing everything he can and still fulfills the misvot, even when it's not comfortable, to try and go. You know, I don't know if you know what it's like if you're not a rabbi. 
You know what it's like when you're, not a ra- when you're a rabbi and you're down in the dumps and someone's calling on you to raise their spirits? How am I going to help this guy if I can't? Can't help myself. Can't help myself. How am I going to be if I don't have simcha? Rabotai, that visit to the hospice, I think, was HaKadosh Baruch Hu's test to Rabbi Robinson. You're going to cancel it? Or you're going to go? You see, there's a beautiful thing that happens when a person recognizes in Oreach. Our rabbis tell us that Hachnasat Orchim Gedola Hachnasat Orchim Ki Kabbalat It is as great to welcome guests as it is to receive the Shekhinah. Now, you read that and you can't believe how could this be such a thing? If I come and make you feel comfortable in my house, you know, that's uh, me. I gave kavod to you. If I welcome HaKadosh Baruch Hu into my house, then I, I, that's giving honor to the Shekhinah himself. Right? That's honoring God himself. How can we make such a statement? The answer is, true HaKnasat Orchim is Kabbalat Pnei Shekhinah. Why are you wasting your time with a guy who's got dirty feet, with a guy who's got no money, with a guy who's got no name, a guy whose name is not Avraham ibn Ezra? Why are you valuing, taking care of, serving someone who's on a lower social status than you, who's a poor man? Why? The answer is because you recognize that in that poor man, in that human being, in every human being, is a neshama, is a soul, which is chelek elokami ma'al, a portion of God Himself. When you can do achnasat orchim, especially to a nobody, it illustrates that you see the godly spark that resides inside of him. Gedolach nasat orchim. Why? Because you recognize that there's an element, a piece of God, a soul that was blown into him, which is not the value of that soul is not decided by their job or their mazal or their appearance or their clothing. It's not decided by whether or not they're down on their luck, whether they're making good choices or bad choices. Rabutai, that person... He is a chelik elokamimal. And if a person can do that, then they welcome the Shekhinah into their home. This couple had welcomed the Shekhinah into their home. And what the Ibn Ezra was telling them is, have a You did a pure, true act of achnasat orchim. You welcomed God into your house. And God is the mekora beracha. He's the source of all blessing. It can't be that you invited the source of all blessing into your home and that source of all blessing is not going to give you what you need. Why? Because in the same way that you served someone who was beneath you, Bore Olam is going to serve someone who's beneath him. You gave the Ani, the poor guest, what he needs, Bore Olam will give you what you need. And I thought to myself that this is a much wider lesson than Hachnasat Orchim. It's the ability that somebody has who's in a difficult time to sit down and open up a Gemara and study. It's inherent in the understanding that we have in our Judaism that our actions are not the only layer that we have to be able to achieve success. But that our mitzvot can actually achieve 
paradoxically the same or greater success. You'd have no money. You're going to be machnis orech. It's going to cost you more. It's the opposite. The mitzvah is taking more from you. It's not achieving your financial goals. And the answer is, yeah, but God doesn't need much to turn the switch on. He just needs to decide to do so. Give him a reason to do so. Let your tefillah, let your, your study, your Talmud Torah, let your chesed, your tzedakah, let it shine so HaKadosh Baruch Hu can have reason to give you what you need. Rabotai, all of us are watching this election, you know, with bated breath. And I'm not a political guy. I don't like, to, you know, tell, telling people who to vote for, what to vote for. I don't like expressing political opinions one way or the other. But a lot of people are very nervous. If you're a Trump supporter, you're nervous because the numbers seem to indicate, you know, that things are not going to go his way. If you're a Biden supporter, you're nervous because even if the numbers do go his way, you know, is Trump and, uh, you know, and the, the, the Republican, the right half of the, of the country, are they going to accept the, the ballot results? People are nervous. We're very, we're very scared. But Rabotai, could we all just take, like we used to say when I was a child, a chill pill. Rabotai, we survived Hitler. We survived Stalin. We survived Titus. We survived Paro. And Paro charged higher taxes than Biden. Could we all just calm the heck down for five minutes? Whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a plan for us, He has plans for us. However they count it, they count it. Now we have an obligation to do what we think is right, to vote, to do what we think is going to put the right person in that seat. That's our obligation. But you did your obligation. You voted. Calm down. Let God drive for two seconds. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows where He wants to take you and the whole world. And whatever Borei Olam wants, that's what's going to happen. Either the numbers will turn and they'll find like the, you know, uh, what's it called? Like the nest of Hanukkah, they're going to find big sacks, you know, of, uh, of uh, ballots for Donald Trump from the military that will, you know, that, that even one sack will, there'll be eight times the amount of votes inside the sack. It will be a new miracle of Hanukkah for Trump supporters. Or if Borei Olam wants, he'll shut down all the legal challenges that Trump is going to raise and he'll institute this man, Joe Biden, to be the President of the United States. Whatever God wants to do, he's going to do. And nothing that we try will actually move that needle one iota. What Borei Olam wants to do, he's going to do. But at the end of the day, I can promise you this. Ultimately, ultimately, if God doesn't want more taxes... They're not going to be more taxes. If God is a little bit fed up with, with protests and looting, there's not going to be more protests and looting. If God wants the embassy in Jerusalem or more Arab nations to normalize relationships with the Jewish people, it will happen anyway with Biden. It will happen anyway. And if God wants Trump to be there and you're nervous, you don't like him, whatever you're nervous about, God could decide to have to block the, what's it called, the, you know, the things that Trump wants to do. Ultimately, our faith is placed in no man. One more time. Our faith is placed in no man. And if you don't think that that candidate is the best candidate because of whatever, it doesn't matter. They're not worse than Stalin and Hitler and all who we survived. Rabotai, calm down. 
So what do we do now? People have been sitting watching the television. All they're doing is saying the same thing 900 times. Right? Everybody's logged on. Okay, well, let's take a look at the states one more time over here. Okay, well, look at this county over here. Wayne County. Is there a county? Is there a county? This guy there. And you watch the... How many times did you watch the same stupid thing where they're showing you... The, how many times could you watch it? It's as if we think that me watching it is going to save the game. I can't go to sleep. If I go to sleep, we're going to lose. Remember when we were kids? If I don't watch the Yankee game, and then they lose the Yankee game, you think to yourself, if I watch the Yankee game, they're going to lose. You don't watch the game. You tell, what happened? Did my sacrifice work? Calm down. Calm down. You know what? know what works? What works is placing our faith in Borei Olam. What works is our Tefilot. What works is our Talmud uh, Torah. What works is our Tzedakah. And ultimately, Borei Olam will be the one that's going to take care of us no matter who's in that seat. Uh, inshallah, we should be zocheh to a, uh, a peaceful re- resolution to this election. Inshallah, we should be zocheh like we pray in the beracha of the memshala. Akadosh Baruch Hu, place in their hearts to do good with us, to take care of us, and to be the very best that they can be in guiding our country to many years of happiness, health, peace, and prosperity. Baruch Amen, amen, amen. Rabbi Chananya, amen, akasha,